0: the persecutor.
1: Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio today with Cade Jefferson. He is uh, the new regional leader for North and East Africa here at The Voice of the Martyrs, so uh, overseeing projects in the northern and the eastern part of the continent of Africa, just a, a huge area of responsibility. Cade, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: One of the things, uh, just a little bit of uh, kind of inside baseball for our listeners, Uh, I have a uh, a mandate here at VOM not to talk to our field leaders, people who are in and out of the same country a lot, because. Obviously, we don't want to publicize them too much. We don't want them to become recognizable. Uh, but once someone reaches the the regional leader, where they're in and out of different countries, uh, I'm allowed to talk to them. So, so Cade has just made that jump a few weeks ago. Uh, we talked with Sean Patton. Kind of, I, I called it his exit interview as he was uh, stepping into a pastoral ministry role. Cade has stepped into Sean's shoes, so he is uh, kind of filling that regional leadership role. Uh, so that gives you kind of a little bit of background. So, Kate, I'm really happy that we get to talk, because I know you've served overseas, you have stories to tell, uh, but I've never been allowed to talk to you for the radio before, so I'm I'm glad that we've reached that point. Talk a little bit about before you came to VOM, you served as a gospel worker. Um, how did God sort of draw you out of... Comfortable American life, and say, I want you to cross the ocean. I want you to go to a place where people have never heard.
2: So I came to faith in high school, and it was while in college that discipleship really started getting to a, a deeper level. And it was at that point, nothing spectacular, no dramatic situation, but I felt a pull to missions in, while in college. And we were part of a small rural church, loved it. It was a great, great church. And from there, we got sent out right after college. And landed in Afghanistan. We spent several years in Afghanistan.
1: That's an interesting place (laughs) to start your mission career. That's true. (laughs) That's true.
2: I feel like it's always been like on hyperdrive, intense all the time. Yeah, and Afghanistan was wild. I mean it was right after the Taliban fell and it was the Wild West. It was intense there. We spent several difficult years in Afghanistan And once we left, we returned back to the States and visited that church, that local church that we were part of that sent us out. While we were gone, they had acquired an associate pastor that we didn't know. We saw the church. We met with him, had dinner at his house. And then from there, we moved out of state. I started the advanced studies for a, at a seminary
1: with an idea of going back overseas. Yeah, or, yeah, okay. with that intention. So yeah. I, I wondered if you came back from Afghanistan yeah. and thought, okay, we've we've served our time, we're done with missions. We're, we're
2: there was there was probably a solid eighteen months of working through that. Of do we want to do this again? It was difficult. 15, 16 years later, I'm still I still have images of what I saw in Afghanistan that I guess emotions etched in my brain of intense things, kids digging in piles of trash, finding syringes like they were finding treasure, but also spending time with the small group of local Christians. When it's difficult and it's when it's dark, you see God with a different clarity than you do otherwise. And I, I found that in all these different times, but I found that in Afghanistan, definitely. I well,
1: sense that you left a part of your heart there.
2: I did, yeah. <laughs> it's been 16, 17 years, but I'm still – it's still – in my mind. I still think about it almost daily.
1: Wow. So, Kate, you come back to the States, you go away to seminary to study more, Then then what happened after that?
2: We gathered up a handful of people and we returned back overseas, but this time to North Africa instead of Afghanistan. Spent a good deal of time there in North Africa. And yeah, just like that, I stepped into Afghanistan, I stepped into North Africa, and it was difficult and saw some amazing things, but also I feel like after about a little over four years in North Africa I felt like I crashed my emotional mental and physical plane I was not respecting the finiteness of who I was as a creature I was pushing myself too hard and too fast this was years several years back now but I remember it was April my wife and I were praying that we we needed help we need a god to step into our situation and we prayed that for a month in may i got word that someone from VOM was visiting uh, north africa and and asked to talk with the folks that were there so i did not want to go i was so tired exhausted um i went <laughs> and i walked into this hotel in north africa The dude that was sitting there was the associate pastor that I had dinner in his house at 15 years prior. He said that they were looking for someone to help them with their North Africa work and asked if I knew of anybody. And I was like, I think I'm that guy. Um, Yeah, walking out of there, it was like, yeah, this is God in a difficult time being merciful to us, connecting those. And that's Sean. That was Sean Patton, (laughs) who I was fortunate to work with for the last – three years, three four years.
1: Amazing how God—and we talk about this here at VOM—at at the right time, God brings the right people. Yeah. Um, sometimes we stress about it, but, but we know, and as we look backwards, we always see, yep, yep, God brought the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, culturally, obviously Afghanistan, a Muslim country, North Africa, a Muslim place— Were the cultures similar or were they very different? What was the adjustment from Afghanistan to North Africa like?
2: Afghanistan, for it being the Wild West and things exploding, (laughs) um, the difficulties of all that, the people in Afghanistan I found to be some of the warmest, most hospitable people that I've ever met in my life. When I landed in North Africa, I was expecting the same. Some of the countries in North Africa were still going through a lot of turmoil and they had turned kind of inward. And so instead of welcoming the foreigner, they were much more antagonistic to the foreigner. They just got their independence from France. Though I mean, thirty years, but still, it was right. still fresh a, for a them. generation, as opposed to Afghanistan, which I guess had been fighting nonstop for the last. They were they were used to. They knew how to handle the foreigners, and they've been fighting for the last hundreds hundred years. So, yeah, it was very different. Culturally, it of two very different places.
1: Was that a shock for you? I mean, was that yeah, hard for you? It was, like, it was surprising. Like, we've lived mm. in a Muslim country, so we know what we're getting yeah, ourselves into. Yeah. But then, wait a minute, mm. it's not what we expected.
2: I feel like that was part of our crashing the plane, that burnout aspect of it. In hindsight, it felt more like the rubber bands on the, the watermelon, where each rubber band was not a big deal. And so, yes... Running a business in North Africa is difficult. That was a rubber band or um, the isolation. Not a lot of foreigners there. Another rubber band not being welcomed by the culture. Well, that was another rubber band. But pretty soon you get enough of those rubber bands on it in the watermelon bus. <laughs> and that was what it was for us. It was a lot of – just a very, two very different places. I feel like the intensity in Afghanistan against Christians is another level. However – I've been reflecting on um, this fellow that I met. It's been less than a year ago, Nathan, um, in North Africa. I feel like his story kind of pictures what North Africa is like. He was a teenager. Through satellite television, he heard the gospel. Now, this very common thing It's really amazing, super important. He came to faith as a teenager, and when his family found out, his dad went unhinged and started beating him, locked him away in, his, in Nathan's bedroom, and I think Nathan's mom figured out that the dad was going to kill him. And so she helped him escape, got him out, like literally through the window. And Nathan, I mean, he's just a teenager. I have a teenage boy. He started living on the street, eating out trash cans. This went on for weeks. And pretty soon he found himself in a refrigerator box living out on the beach which is not nice, super cold, some other homeless people living out there. While out there, um, it was like several nights in, he heard somebody shout his name, shouted out Nathan out on the beach, middle of the night, heard it again. Hey, is there a Nathan here? Nathan got up and was like, yeah, I'm I'm here. The fellow um, directed him to his car. Nathan was like, well, I guess I'll go get in this car. Found out that it was a British missionary, that had some rough Arabic, was still learning Arabic, and had gotten a word from God that he needed to go out to the beach and pick up Nathan. The British missionary had no idea what was going on with this, but obeyed, went out there, scared, nervous, picked up someone named Nathan at the beach, <laughs> took him home, and started taking care of him. Um, Nathan slept on the guy's couch for weeks. Wow. Um, the guy started discipling him, taking care of him. Nathan now goes out to isolated villages in North Africa to help Christians that are out by themselves. We all have those, but it's just so striking to see those. And they happen they happen at dark times in your life. Nathan was on the edge, out on the beach. I mean, he was holding his faith. He didn't recount right. and go back home. But I'm sure he was there was the God, why have you forsaken me? Phil? And when it got really dark, God showed up and took care of him. Is
1: there a Nathan here? Is there a Nathan <laughs> here? It's so amazing. Cade, obviously you're stepping into this role, so you're relatively new. But as I look across your area, uh, I think about so much persecution. How intimidated were you to to take on this job?
2: I'm stepping into something that's built up. And so we have folks in all those countries, working in all those countries in East Africa that are doing an amazing job. In North Africa, likewise, great, great folks doing great work. I mean, people that have been doing this, this job for 14, 15 years. And so it's overwhelming, but I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Talk a little bit about our, our local partners in some of these places. And sometimes they're foreign gospel workers who live there, sometimes mm-hmm. they're local people. I, I think it's easy for our listeners to picture Voice of the Martyrs as the guy that gets on the plane in Bartlesville and mm-hmm. flies across, mm-hmm. and he's there to to help the people and deliver the aid. All of this happens because there are those people on the yeah. ground who live there and work there and know the church. They know the, the people in the church. They hear the stories of Oh, hey, this village just got attacked. Mm-hmm. Hey, this pastor was just beaten up. Oh, this pastor was killed. His widow is here and her five children. Talk a little bit about how that actually mm-hmm. works on the ground to go and help that widow, to go and yeah. help the the people in that village that's just been attacked.
2: Yeah. I feel like that's an aspect of it that's incredibly essential to who we are. Yes, we are helping with physical needs. People are kicked out of their homes. Houses are burned down. But we're we're doing this person to person. Um, we're sitting down with people. And I live in the states. I I can only I have a family here. I can only do this six seven times a year. Can I go and be there? And oftentimes there's a language barrier too. I mean, I speak French. I speak a, enough Arabic for people to think that I speak Arabic but it's it's the guys on the ground these national guys that are able to go and sit down with the widow or the person that fled Sudan and is now in Cairo and doesn't know what's going on i can see them from time to time but our folks on the ground are the folks that go and sit down with them and truly feel it they're crying with the they're weeping with those that are weeping they are walking through spiritually with these people in levels that Us here in Bartlesville can only touch but not experience in the same way. They're integral. The guys on the ground are integral to what we're doing. And it keeps us doing what we're supposed to be doing, really ministering to these people. We're ministering to our our brothers and sisters that are are hurting.
1: How do we pray and how do our listeners pray and how do you pray for those people that are on the Mm -hmm. ground? And, you know, obviously they're dealing with – Trauma, they're dealing mm-hmm. with hardship and hurt and loss 365 days a yeah. year. They're getting WhatsApp messages 365 days a year. That's true. How do we pray for them?
2: Some of the things that I pray for, um, for these guys, an important one is stamina, that they're able to keep a pace that is reasonable. The needs are overwhelming. It's intense and it's constant, like you just said. And so to be able to keep a pace that's healthy – for them to realize that they are a – and to keep it in check as them being conduit of God, not of of them being God to these people. God's going to be merciful and God's going to take care of people whether they're there or not. But they're the way that God's going to do it. The needs are overwhelming. yeah. But for them not to feel like they have to take care of it all, that, that they're relying on God as well. And that um, their own personal spiritual health is good. Because of this, when you see these things and they're constant, you can you can drain yourself out. And so when you're going through secondary trauma, seeing these things that um, they can be healthy spiritually and emotionally, that they have people around them that are are healthy and spiritual, both spiritually and emotionally, that can take care of them. We want our people on the ground to be flourishing and to do well with what's in front of them um, and not to run into the ground and not to burn out over this, but be able to do this long-term. And we have people doing it long-term. Yeah. I mean, we have people doing it for 15. We have a fellow in, um, in East Africa that's – I mean, I think he's pushing 20 years now with us. It's amazing. It is um, amazing. They just keep going. We're very, very fortunate to have folks like that.
1: Yeah. Kate, obviously you served in Afghanistan. You served in North Africa – What are some of the things that that you've taken from our brothers and sisters in those places and said, I I want that to be a part of my faith walk too? What are some of the lessons you've learned or or some of the qualities you've seen that you're like, okay, I want to develop that same quality?
2: The way that they're able to maintain compassion nonstop, they're faced with people burning down their houses— They're faced with women being hurt and people being put out on the street, family members turning against them, but they don't turn to hate. They don't see these people themselves as their enemy. And that's the the easy way is to say, "I, I don't like Muslims. I'm going to fight against these people. They're not doing that. They're reaching out to them over and over and over again. They're constantly praying for these people that have hurt them and they're not leaving. They're not saying that we're just going to push away from all of you people. They're not doing that. They're going back. They're wanting to get Bibles into their countries that you can't get Bibles into because they want to share the the scriptures with people that don't know them. I feel like that aspect is oftentimes just dumbfounding to me because it's the opposite of how I would by default operate. And they constantly just push forward constantly in love and in compassion for the people around them even though the people around them are some of the people that are hurting them.
1: You mentioned that you have kids, and so you come home from a trip. You've met some of these amazing mm-hmm. saints. You've heard stories of, of their faithfulness, but you've also heard stories of their suffering and, and the price that they're paying for that. How do you communicate that to your kids, or or what are you trying to mm-hmm. sort of pass along to the next generation mm-hmm. from— from these examples, these really saints that we get to serve.
2: I feel like that is a tradition that we have in the church that we've had for a long time of taking these uh, the examples of the martyrs and the saints that have been persecuted and retelling those. I have younger kids. I have a teenager and a preteen. So the stories have to be filtered. They have to be, be cleaned up before I can talk about them. But we do. We talk about these stories at the dinner table and hearing these stories of people that are putting their neck on the line that are really going out there and doing things that, like, I've talked to partners, a fellow in North Africa that is trying to get Bibles into diff- very difficult places. And I've asked him, <laughs> I've said, we call him Mark. I was like, Mark are you sure you want to be doing this? This is dangerous. This is very dangerous and it's going to come back on you. And he's like, yeah, I want to do it. At times I'm like, I I almost want to talk him out of it. But he he pushes forward. And so to tell those stories at the table with my kids of what Mark is doing in North Africa or what's happening in Kenya is encouraging. It's encouraging because – it keeps us from being myopic and to think about just the little things that are causing our, our mild annoyances here. But be like, yeah, we're part of a bigger story. We may not be experiencing the, the same difficulties and persecutions that our brothers and sisters are experiencing elsewhere, but it's our family. It's, it's like telling the stories of what your grandfather did to your kids. It's us. This is our people, and it's encouraging.
1: It is encouraging. We talked a little bit about praying for our partners on the ground. Let's talk a little more broadly about the Christians. And obviously, you know well the situation for Christians in North Africa. How do we pray for brothers and sisters like, like Nathan, who's kicked out of his own family? Um, how do we pray for Christians who are going through that right now in in North Africa?
2: Uh, like we've said, like I said earlier, with stamina. Stamina is important. And it can be thought of in continued faithfulness, continued trust in God and that he's going to take care of them. There's a um, a psalm that says that God is close to the brokenhearted, praying that God fulfills that promise to them, that they're going through difficult times, they're brokenhearted, their families have, have rejected them.
1: I don't think most of us understand the family bond, mm. the family connection yeah. in that part of the world. Like your family group is is your whole society yeah. it's your opportunity for education it's your opportunity for a job it's everything mm-hmm. so when they reject you it's not just a matter of well my family doesn't want to talk to me anymore it's like yeah. all of those opportunities are now cut mm-hmm. off from you
2: yeah you're exactly right it's not simply that thanksgiving is awkward it's a whole nother level you don't eat you may be literally living on the street eating out of trash cans if your family rejects you if you had hopes of going on to college that stops, jobs that are paying to any level beyond the minimal are, are over because you have to have these connections, these family connections to to put you in society. It's not simply relationship and family. It's, it's the whole society structure is built around these families. and If you don't have your father's approval and your brother's backing. You're not you're not going anywhere but down.
1: So when you talk about them being brokenhearted, I think that helps us understand. Yeah. yeah, they are brokenhearted. Yeah. They, they have no future mm-hmm. in that culture, in that society. So yeah. that helps us kind of understand where that brokenheartedness comes from.
2: Yeah. So to be praying for them and that that God is is close to them in those times, I feel like so often reading over the Beatitudes praying for praying the beatitudes with our brothers and sisters that are going through this in mind because that's what they're in they are the ninth beatitude they are being persecuted but they're also poor in spirit they are the weak they're 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 the ones that are the least in that in these societies so to to have those those things in mind to have this compassion for them and to pray with emotion of god be close to these people be be close to nathan be merciful to Mark as he's going through these times. They're facing the hours of trial over and over again, and for them to be strong in that and to have, have confidence that God is taking care of them.
1: Cade, welcome to this new role at Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you for your willingness to serve, and thanks
0: for being our guest this week. Thank you. It's an honor. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us, as believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of VOM Oz Radio. Voice for the Persecuted.